Rose high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. NBA trade deadline less than 24 hours away. And now we don't have to speculate. We don't have to project. We actually have something to talk about. The Bucks made a trade. Pretty big trade, too, from uh, one of their higher draft picks. Thon Maker, we know for a while now. It's not a while, but two, three weeks. I don't remember originally when the news came out that he requested a trade. And then it had all been kind of quiet. There weren't really any rumors swirling. There wasn't, you know, the Bucks have contacted this team and this team. It, it was pretty quiet, and and we had almost kind of forgotten about it. Always, it was always there, but it, but it wasn't a distraction, right? And a, a huge topic of conversation because the Bucks have been so good. We haven't had to talk about the trade deadline as much. They finally pulled the trigger today, trading him to the Pistons. They got Stanley Johnson in return. Now, the number one reason that I know Stanley Johnson, believe it or not. Was uh, Remember when he played back in Arizona? I don't remember which Final Four Badger team it was, whether it was the first rendition or the second rendition, ran into Stanley Jackson on that Arizona squad. uh, He was drafted in 2016, so I guess it would have been the 2015-2016 Arizona season. That's where I uh, remember Stanley Johnson mostly. Most players who go to Detroit kind of live in infamy there. You don't really hear from them very much. So the Bucs have made a swap. There's a couple of ways to look at this trade, and we'll get into all of it, including how this impacts the Eastern Conference. And as we approach the trade deadline, there's a lot to be talked about. You can join in on the conversation, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. Your best way to join the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Twitter's always wide open as well, at WKTY and at Keystroker Grant. That is my personal account. If you want to throw me a follow, stay up to date and stay connected. With what we're doing on the show, I would certainly appreciate it. So the Bucks actually pulled the trigger. The news dropped earlier today. Uh, Bleach Report was kind of the first uh, summative story that was released. It's just a swap from Stanley Johnson and Thon Maker, who had requested a trade. Now, Stanley Johnson has been up and down. One of the most notable things to keep in mind about Stanley Johnson is he was a number eight overall pick in 2015. So my, uh, excuse me, he was a 2015 draft pick, which makes more sense. The 2014-2015 Badgers team was the one that made it all the way to the national championship game. So now everything syncs up. There we go. He is averaging seven and a half points and 3.6 rebounds uh, so far this season, 48 appearances so far this year. So he hasn't appeared in quite every game. But he certainly played more than Thon Maker. The talk about him uh, from Bucks fans and Bucks media members, of course, going to try to put the most positive spin on this story uh, possible, is talking about Lee Johnson's defense. Uh, he is an above average defender around the outside. The Pistons have him, and, and I don't get in too much into the advanced analytics. I was reading about it a little bit just because it's not like there's extensive Detroit Pistons highlights reels that you can look up, and, and the ones that you can find are definitely not composed of Stanley Johnson closeouts and contests around the three-point line, which is where he excels in defense. He's 1.4 in defensive win shares, uh, so that puts him third on the Pistons, which is, you know, ac- Pretty good with a player like Andre Drummond who protects the rim pretty well. And and they do have some other good defensive players. And Blake Griffin, uh, obviously, as well. He's only 22, which is like, well, well, they're they're getting a young asset. And and this is, when I say there's multiple ways to look at this trade, there is two. There's there's an optimistic way and there's a pessimistic way. And, And Stanley Johnson, being only 22 years old, goes in the optimistic category. We'll get to that here in a minute. One of the most important pieces, obviously, the story is, I don't think Milwaukee would have traded Thonmaker had they really had an option. I think they 
they wanted to honor Thon's trade request. Uh, from a couple of weeks ago, so they move him. The Pistons were one, uh, it came out today, the Pistons were one of a small handful of teams that were interested. Thon, of course, only 21 years old. He hasn't played a whole lot this season, averaging 4.7 points and 2.7 rebounds per I love Thon. It's too bad. I really love Thon. I don't know if he's going to be a great player. Most NBA draft picks aren't. It's not like the first round of the NFL draft, where chances are probably... I don't want to say 95, but probably like 80% of the players drafted in the first round are going to contribute at some level at some time. The NBA and the NBA draft is consisted of a lot more busts because you're drafting younger players who are a lot more raw. You're reaching for potential rather than actual measurables and tangibles and numbers that you've seen on a football field. So I, I don't know if Thon Maker would have worked out or is going to work out, I should say. But he certainly wasn't going to work out in Milwaukee, and it's a shame to see him leave. Him and Giannis were very close. I, I feel like he was... A good part of what was going on in Milwaukee, he was kind of the last draft pick. I guess DJ Wilson as well. They were trying to get a lot of length on this team, and I just he he was a fun player. He was fun to watch. I I, I am going to miss Thon. I am disappointed, but I feel like this is... For for Thon, who hasn't played barely at all this year, there's a lot of did-not-plays coach's decision, which is never a good light to see a player in, especially when you're trying to trade said player. But I think the player they got in return is is just about as good as you can ask for. And once again, that's going to be lumped in the optimistic view of this trade. Making sure there's there's no other noteworthy or newsworthy statistics regarding this trade to pass along. Like I said, Thonmaker so far this year, uh, he has started 12 of 74 games, which is barely anything, right? A lot of, or excuse me, that was in 27-2018. He hasn't started barely at all. Does he actually have any starts this year? We're going to get on, I'm going to look at that over the break. None come to mind, but he's got to have a starter two in there somewhere, at least early in the season. Uh, Thon Maker this year, averaging 4.7 points and 2.7 rebounds per game. Compare that to Stanley Johnson's 7.5 points and 3.5 rebounds. Neither one pick has lit the world on fire, and for the most part, that's why you're seeing them being traded, because it wasn't working or they weren't playing a whole lot at their home team. Detroit, in the case of Johnson, and Milwaukee, in the case of Thon Maker. There's two ways to look at this trade. There's an optimistic way. There's a pessimistic way. I feel like I, I I have a foot in both camps, and that's fine. You don't have to pick a side. There's there's definitely merit and, and definite. Both of these theories and both of these uh, ways to look at this trade hold water. It's not right or wrong, one or the other. The optimistic way to look at it is it's a fresh start for both players, right? Thon may have a high ceiling. He may turn out to be a, a, a contributing player on a team. He may turn out to be a star or even a superstar. I, nobody knows, right? He was a top 10 pick. You obviously like his raw ability. He is still very young. It wasn't working in Milwaukee. There was not a path to playing time, which is why Thon ultimately requested a trade. He said, look, I'm, I'm not going to play here. And I'm at a point in my career where if this season and next, I don't start to show something, teams are going to forget about where I was drafted. Teams are going to get forget about my age and my potential. And they're just going to say, you haven't shown us anything yet. He wants an opportunity to play and showcase himself. And that's fine. And Detroit is going to probably be able to offer him that much like Stanley Johnson and his high draft pick and potential, at least at the time, out of Arizona, wasn't working out in Detroit. For whatever reason, it wasn't working. So Milwaukee and Detroit say, hey, we both have young players who we assume have high ceilings. We're taken high in the draft. And neither position, neither situation is great for the players currently. So let's just swap them. You guys take Thon, we'll take Johnson, and we'll give both players a fresh start. And I think that's a good way to look at it. I think no matter where you stand on this trade, optimistic or pessimistic, and we'll get there in a sec, there is water to that idea that a fresh start is needed or, or is great for both of these players and for both of these teams, right? That's that's a given. The, the more pessimistic way to look at this trade is the Bucks only dealt Thon and only acquired Stanley Johnson to dump a little salary and to start saving money for this upcoming summer. Because remember, and this doesn't happen in the NBA very often, outside of Giannis, 
All four starting players on this Bucks team, Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, and Lopez are all set to be free agents in one way or another. Now, Middleton is coming off a, a long contract. Bledsoe, obviously, they inherited his contract when they traded for him for Phoenix, is running out. Brogdon has been drafted. He's been here a couple of years. His contract, he's now going to look for his second contract. And um, Lopez is on that mid-level exception. So all different situations, but all those contracts are running out. They're going to need money. They're going to need capital this upcoming summer to retain some, if not all, who knows, of those players. And thedding, shedding Thonmaker's uh, salary, it wasn't a whole lot. It, they were set to pay Thon $3.5 million next season. Every little bit counts. Because the Bucks are most likely going to want to retain more than one of those four free agents to be. Whether that's Chris Middleton or Eric Bledsoe. Maybe they start with Malcolm Brogdon. They value him highly or they really want to give another contract to Brooke Lopez after his one-year mid-level exception. That's fine. That's all good. They're going to need as much money as possible regardless of whoever they try to retain or don't try to retain. But they have four free agents to be in their starting lineup. It's not like you can let all four walk. They're going to have to at least make a pitch to all of them and they're going to need as much money as possible. We're not looking at Thon as a salary dump. I think it worked out well that Thon A needed a fresh start. He wasn't getting any playing time, so you're able to trade him and honor his trade request, and at the same time, shake a little money for the upcoming offseason. I think it all worked out. I'm a little bit disappointed because I love Thon. I, I thought Milwaukee was the right kind of place for him to be. The type of player that he is, unfortunately, with how good the Bucks are this year, and, and a couple of picks or acquisitions, should I say, that they have hit on. DJ Wilson has now looked impressive. Brooke Lopez has been just a different player than we all expected him to be. Thon Maker really is kind of getting the short end of the stick here. And Christian Wood has dominated in the G League, so they got to feel like they have at least something. Maybe not something to rely on, but something to be excited about coming up through the G League and Christian Wood. And they all play the same position. So I think it bodes well and it works out well for all parties, even if it is just a salary dump. It also serves as that fresh start for both players, which is an optimistic way to look at it. I don't know if Stanley Johnson's going to be on this team for the long haul. They could deal him before the trade deadline tomorrow. They could parlay this into another trade to shed even more money. Tony Snell is obviously the name that everybody's talking about now if you're wanting to unload money off the books. But regardless of whether you think it's a salary dump, there is something to be said for giving a player a fresh start, and I hope Thon can make the most of it and, and showcase himself a little bit here down the stretch in Detroit as they are certainly in the position to give some developmental minutes. They're certainly not first in the conference like the Bucks are. And speaking of the Eastern Conference, I want to get into this when we come back. We are now less than 24 hours away from the NBA trade deadline. The Sixers made their big move. I don't know if the Celtics have a move to make. Same with the Raptors. I'm not sure. Let's operate under the assumption that the Bucks. The Sixers, the Raptors, and the Celtics all have made their final move. What's the outlook of the Eastern Conference look like? The odds and the betting odds change in terms of who's favored to win the conference and, and title odds as well. That all swapped today when Tobias Harris, or should I say yesterday when Tobias Harris was acquired by the 76ers. It changed a lot. I want to take a glance around this conference, assuming that all the teams are done making moves, which of course we can't be sure of. But if these teams stay as is through the trade deadline, what does the outlook of the Eastern Conference look like? I want to talk about that coming up next year on the Wisco Sports Show. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. I certainly appreciate it. Conversation's going to continue next. We're talking NBA and the Eastern Conference coming up next year on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolling on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're having a good night. Bucks basketball is going to be played here on WKTY later this evening. 7 o'clock tip-off, 6.30 pregame here on WKTY. They're taking on the Wizards in Milwaukee. Run it back 
from Saturday's game. So the Bucks playing another inferior team, and I don't I don't mean that personally. I don't mean that to be a loaded statement. The Wizards are not record-wise and talent-wise where the Bucks are. So we'll see if they can take advantage of yet another mismatch tonight at the Pfizer Forum. This weekend was in DC, so they're just going to run it back. 7:30 tips, 6 or 7 tip, 6:30 pregame here on WKTY. We're talking about the Bucks. They dealt Thon Maker earlier today for Stanley Jackson. I don't know if that trade is significant. It is to me as as a as a fan. I like Thon Maker, so I don't I don't like to see him go. I would have liked to see him have an opportunity and have a place to grow in Milwaukee because I, I think he's an interesting player. But basketball-wise, Thon wasn't playing, and I don't think Stanley Johnson's going to play either, but it is a fresh start for both players and might help the Bucks dump some salary as well, especially if they parlay it into another move here in the next 20 hours or so. There's been some shifting in the Eastern Conference this year. Right now, as it's currently constituted, the Bucks lead the Eastern Conference at 39-13, and 13, followed by the Raptors at 39-16, and 16. Then the Celtics at three, 35 and 19. The Pacers at four, uh, although I think everybody expects the Pacers to to continue to to drop a little bit without Victor Oladipo, although that's not a given. And then the Sixers sit at five, 34 and 20. Now, most betting odds, and and if you would ask a sports fan, you would ask, who's going to win the East this year? Who's going to come out of the East? It would come from that batch of four teams, the Bucs, the Raptors, the Celtics, and the Sixers. I know the Pacers are in there at four, and the next month or two is going to be very telling. I, I love their coach. I, I love their team. I just don't know if they're good enough to keep winning games and stay in the seating that they are currently in without Victor Oladipo. But time will tell. But let's, for the sake of this conversation, stick with the Bucks, the Raptors, the Celtics, and the Sixers. Now, the Sixers made a big move. They they acquired Tobias Harris and, you know, some other players just to make things balance and, and make things work. I don't need to get into the details of that trade. But essentially now, the Sixers have a star-studded starting five between Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris... Jimmy Butler, J.J. Redick, and Joel Embiid. Okay, that is a really good starting five. And that's caused people to maybe take a second look at the Eastern Conference. So as it sits currently, the betting odds uh, to win the title on January 28th. So before any of these trades happen, this is about two weeks ago. Not that far, I guess just a little bit over a week. Uh, the Warriors were 2-5, to five, Celtics 8-1, to one, Raptors 8-1, to one, Rockets 12-1, to one, and then the Bucks 12-1. to one. The 76ers were all the way down at 16-1. to one. Under the thunder. Now, as of today, those title odds changed. The Warriors still at number one, and the Celtics still sit at eight. Sixers have now vaulted over the Bucks, the Raptors, and the Thunder up to ten to one. The Raptors sit at ten to one, and the Bucks hold tight at twelve to one. I don't know why the Raptors moved from eight to one. To, well, I guess they dropped. That's right, eight to one to ten to one. They haven't really changed a whole lot, but they dropped down. So that, those are your odds, and I don't want to treat these as NBA title odds. I want to treat them as, let's just let's talk about who is coming out of the Eastern Conference. As far as the NBA Finals go, it, it's a crapshoot. Because the goal of the Eastern Conference is just going to be to get out and to see what happens. See what happens when you make the NBA Finals. So let's treat it the same way on this show. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text line. As of right now, who's the favorite in the Eastern Conference? I know the Bucks' record is better than everyone, and they sit in the number one seed in the East right now. I, I just don't know. All of these teams who are sitting atop the Eastern Conference, and like I said, we're going to exclude the Pacers. Now, if they prove themselves over the next month or two, and they either remain at four and hold off the 76ers, or they continue to climb. Either either way, we'll, we'll get them back into this conversation. But as of right now, I want to talk Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, Sixers. If you had to bet money, and I would imagine both most people here listening are Bucks fans or maybe Wolves fans as well. I don't want to exclude you from the conversation, but the Wolves fans have a unique perspective of being in a different conference and maybe being a bit of an outsider in the way that they view things. Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, Sixers, 
Who's the best team in the Eastern Conference right now? Now, you could say the Bucks. Obviously, they have the best winning percentage. They, they keep winning games, and they look really good right now. But by extension, in a couple of months, when the playoff starts, are we going to be saying the same thing? I'm not here to hate on the Bucs. I've said many times on this show, the, the record speaks for itself in 39-13, and 13, but you see things from this Bucks team that would lead you to believe that they are not just a regular season flash in the pan, that they don't lose back-to-back games. And then when they have a rematch against a team that has beaten them previously, they show up in a big way. Right, They seem to react and respond really well uh, to losses and to poor performances, of which they do not have many. That gives me confidence to believe that they can continue to do it in the playoffs. My question is more so with the Raptors, the Celtics, and the Sixers. Are those three teams playing their best possible basketball right now? With the Celtics, I don't believe so. The Sixers, I don't either. The Raptors, I, I mean, they're right there. They're 39-16 and 16 compared to the Bucks, 39-13. and 13. I think the Raptors are a really good team. I think if there is one dark horse team in the Eastern Conference, who is not done before the trade deadline, it is the Raptors, because they have a ton of young players. They they were in talks about uh, Conley and uh, and Gasol. I think the Raptors, interestingly enough, I know they kind of spit their wad, and they, they kind of laid it all out there to get Kawhi Leonard. They I, I think they do have the assets to make a case for getting Anthony Davis as well, especially being in the Eastern Conference. And like I said, dark horse, dark horse, very small chance, but if there was one team amongst the bunch, it would be that group. The Celtics can't. And the Sixers have already acquired Tobias Harris. So as we sit right now, all four of these teams in really different spots. The Bucks look ready to go. If the playoffs started today, I would want to be the Milwaukee Bucks because they have appeared to f- have figured it out. Now they could cool off or these other teams could improve and get hotter. Here's my question. I have some questions about all these teams. Toronto is interesting. I think Kawhi Leonard is an exponentially better player than DeMar DeRozan. And by that alone, I think the Raptors have a better chance to win some playoffs games. I mean, Kawhi Leonard has played in NBA Finals. DeMar DeRozan, I always get a vibe, and, and I get a, a view of DeMar DeRozan that's a little bit soft. He's a guy who will be flashy in the regular season, but I, not the guy that I would want to lean on come postseason time. And that's proven true as the Raptors have really struggled of late in the, in the postseason. I think just swapping... DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard makes a huge case that the Raptors got much better, especially with the breakouts even further of Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam and and players of that ilk, who that's why I think they could have a little bit of trade capital if they want to chase a superstar. But nevertheless, I think the Raptors are, are, they're there. I think the Bucs can go toe-to-toe with the Raptors. Uh, I'm not discounting or lifting up the Raptors any higher than they are. The, The more interesting cases are the Celtics and the 76ers. Those are the teams that I'm interested in, and I'm not sure that anybody, myself included, has really figured either one of those teams out yet. Let's start with the Celtics. So the rumors surrounding Kyrie Irving, that that stuff matters. When Kyrie sounds like he is dedicated to Boston and wants to stay in Boston and then changes his tune, things like that and distractions of that type matter. And I will debate with you that they matter a lot. I mean, if you look at the Lakers right now and the trade rumors and the drama that is swirling, look at the performance they had in Indianapolis last night against a Victor Oladipo-less Pacers team. These things matter. They they find their way onto the basketball court. If you go back a year ago when there were rumors galore around the Cleveland Cavaliers team, remember leading up right to the trade deadline, they got smoked by the Rockets at home. This was a year ago this week when the Cavs had all these trade rumors. They got smoked by the Rockets, just like the Lakers got smoked last night, and then they blew a huge second-half lead to lose to the Magic, and they needed a LeBron James Herculean effort to beat the Wolves. Remember that buzzer beat, the block and the buzzer beater? These things matter. 
And I do think this Kyrie Irving situation, especially paired with the drama of the Anthony Davis trade and how the two affect each other, I do think that finds its way onto the basketball court. Now, whether that rumor gets larger or smaller is yet to be seen, and, and maybe it is, is cast into an area where it, where it doesn't matter as much. Right now, it certainly matters. The Celtics are, are no pushover. Don't get me wrong. They're 35 and 19, but I don't think they're as good as, as many people thought they would be. Gordon Hayward has been a, a nightmare uh, coming back off of that injury. Jason Tatum has taken a small step back. Jalen Brown has not looked like the force that he was. And Terry Rozier, I think, has regressed to back to what his normal is away from the monster that he became against the Bucks last year. I'm just not sure about the Celtics. They could really pop. They could really all of a sudden flip a switch and be the best team in the East. But there's a lot of things that would have to happen. And I, Kyrie, Irving, Kyrie Irving's the truth. He's a closer. And I trust him more than I would trust like we were early, earlier talking about DeMar DeRozan. But I, I don't know. They're five games back of the one seed. I think they have yet to be playing their best basketball, but there's nothing to say that they're just going to get better because I say so. The Sixers are another case. The Sixers were underachieving for the lineup that I thought they had before, whether that was Simmons and Embiid and J.J. Redick. I, I, I thought that's that was a great team. There's a lot of talent there. That's a big three in and of itself. And then they trade for Jimmy Butler, and it's like, well, this team should be the number one team in the East. That team has more talent than the Bucks. And yet they currently sit at the five seed. The talent has never been the problem for the Philadelphia 76ers. I think it's it's attitudes, it's personalities, especially now with Jimmy Butler. And I don't really know what I think of Brett Brown. I don't know that going out and adding more talent is going to improve them drastically. It might help here and there. And I look, it, it will help here and there. Don't get me wrong. They have no bench and they have a starting lineup who, when they began the year without Jimmy Butler, I thought they would be tremendous. That really wasn't the case. Then they add Jimmy Butler and they get a little bit better. You obviously like to have Jimmy Butler and and I just don't know if adding Tobias Harris is going to necessarily flip a switch on this team. There's question marks with the with the Sixers and with the Celtics. I think we know who the Raptors are. I think we know what the Bucks are. It's just, are they going to remain true to form in the playoffs? This Eastern Conference is, is fascinating right now. And look, the, the bottom end of the Eastern Conference is a, is a dumpster fire. The Knicks, the Cavs, the Bulls, the Hawks, and the Magic. That, that is a gross bottom of the barrel. And the Pistons aren't far away. And then you have the Heat, the Hornets, and the Nets, which are the final three playoff teams. At the top, the Eastern Conference is just as good as the Western Conference. Now, look, look the Warriors are head and shoulders above every team in the NBA. But after that, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Celtics, they match up with the Rockets. They match up with the Nuggets. They match up with the Trailblazers, the Thunder. Like I, I think at the top, these conferences are very similar. The Western Conference just has the much better team at the top, and they are a little bit better at the bottom. I don't want to say they're much better. The Suns, the Grizzlies, and the Pelicans all you know stink on ice, but that's something to <laughs> that's just a given. You're going to have bad teams at the bottom of both conferences. The Eastern Conference is going to be interesting to monitor. 24 hours to the trade deadline. I don't think any of these Eastern Conference teams have a huge trade to pull off. I think the 76ers, like I said, kind of shot their wad as did the Raptors months ago getting Kawhi Leonard. The Bucks. I don't think there's another trade to be, unless it's a salary dump with Tony Snell. That's the only thing I can see. And the Celtics can't trade for Anthony Davis right now, and they, I think they want to wait on Anthony Davis. So now we sit, we watch the odds, and we see who's going to come out of this Eastern Conference. I'm fascinated to watch. This is the best time of the year with the NBA, the trade deadline. Then we got the All-Star game. And then before you know it, we're going to be in the postseason. It is going to be a whole lot of fun. Love the NBA. I do want to transition away from the NBA a little bit, though. I want to get into some baseball talk. There was some news that came out today. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about some proposed MLB rule changes, uh, specifically about the length of option time and exactly how teams manage 
roster spots at the bottom of their roster. That was something, this new proposed rule change, it was reported by Ken Rosenthal, The Athletic, and I'm going to share those details with you and then have a little bit of analysis and discussion about it as well. These rule changes would be a big deal. Not that the other rule changes aren't interesting, but these are these are a different animal. These are a different beast. So I want to get into that and how these rule changes, proposed rule changes, not only affect the league, but affect the Milwaukee Brewers because this is the Wisco Sports Show. That is what we care about here on WKTY. More to come next. Stick around. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 5.80 AM, streaming live on our mobile app. And at WKTYsports.com, you can reach us on Twitter at WKTY. You can tweet at me at Grant. Of course, the five-star telecom talk and text line as well, 608-796-2558. We were just talking little bucks, little NBA trade deadline, and maybe what is going to go down in the next 24 hours or so, and how those events will transpire and affect uh, the following months and the postseason of the NBA season as well. It's going to be really fascinating to watch, and that's part of what makes the NBA so fun. The knock on baseball, and not the Brewers, but on baseball and the MLB, is that it is not a fun game to watch, and it is boring, and it's slow, and it looks like the MLB is looking to do something about it. We talked a couple of weeks about how the MLB was proposing rule changes regarding the length of an option. So if you option a player down, you need to keep him there for a certain amount of time. And if you put a player on the DL, you need to keep him there a certain amount of time. And they were looking to extend those windows to take away some flexibility from teams. Now, I'm not going to play the victim here. There's always a time to play the victim as a small market team. You got to pick your spots. Trust me. You got to pick your spots. It's not a time to play the victim. This would affect all teams, not just the Brewers, but it certainly looks like it is in reaction to teams like the Brewers and in the American League, the Athletics, who loved to play and use that flexibility to their advantage by optioning one pitcher down and optioning another up, uh, depending on what city they were in or who they were playing, just to have fresh arms constantly in that bullpen. And it worked to success last year for the Brewers. I don't think the MLB was looking at that and saying, well, how can we screw over the Brewers? I, I don't think that was the narrative. I think they were looking at it and say, how do we value our most, our highest paid players, right? Our stud starting pitchers, our stud shortstops and second baseman and right fielder like Bryce Harper, Machado. Baseball right now is in an interesting place where they have a lot of free agents sitting out there yet to be signed and they view that as a problem. And I think all of these rules in one way or another are looking to fix that problem. Those rules would not have been a big deal and we don't know if they'll, they'll go into effect or what. These rule changes are a little bit more drastic. So it was reported yesterday by Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. And it is this article that I will cite for the more uh, specific details. They're looking to change a couple of more rules. Number one, a proposal to the players union uh, on pace of play and uh, baseball suggesting a rule that requires pitchers to face a minimum of three batters. So the one, the, the opener, like the like the Brewers started a game and Wade Miley pitched against one batter, that wouldn't be allowed. You can't bring in the righty specialist to only pitch against one guy late in games. A three batter minimum, which let's be real, it doesn't sound like it'd be a huge deal, but that is a huge adjustment for baseball. It's going to put a lot of guys out of work, the, the specialists, right? The ground ball guys, the left-hand specialists, the, those guys aren't going to have a role if this is the case. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing, I'm just saying that this has some implications. This has some big implications on the way that baseball is managed, the way that rosters are constructed, and the way that players are going to be able to find a job. Once again, not saying it's good or bad. I'm just, I'm just saying it has some big implications. So one of the interesting things about this, a three, man, 
They've looked at a lot of elements on improving the game, especially boosting pace of play. A 20-second pitch clock was talked about. They, they might reduce the mound visits from 6 to 5, which is just stupid because no one worries about the mound visits anyways. Nobody's like, oh, should we should we have a mound visit here? No, we don't want to run out. Nobody cares about the mound visits. Like, that, that was just a dumb rule. But, uh, there's, you know, talked about an extra innings, placing a base runner on base to start the 10th or whatever. This modification would be interesting. Having a pitcher be forced to face at least three batters would be a huge deal. It'd be a huge deal. And what's interesting about it is I don't think it specifically targets the Brewers. I think the MLB and Rob Manfred, of course, as the commissioner, is looking to solve one problem. And that is we have huge money players like Bryce Harper, like Manny Machado. And last year is another great case study of a huge batch of starting pitchers that didn't find a home until damn near into spring training. Jake Arrieta, Hugh Darvish, Lance Lynn. Big name expensive pitchers who teams should be lining up to sign. There should be a demand for these guys, and it just didn't come across that way. And now you have Bryce Harper still a free agent. Manny Machado still a free agent. There's a lot of free agents. There should be barely any free agents, high level or mid-level regardless. We're almost to spring training. These guys shouldn't still be out there, and the MLB looks at this and says, well, how can we fix this problem? Let's devalue the relief pitcher. Or the one-trick pony of a relief pitcher, right? You're still going to have your all-star closers and your middle relief guys as rare as they are, like Josh Hader and Andrew Miller and other guys who are weapons in middle relief. Because let's face it, Josh Hader is a closer pitching in a different role. Corey Knable is a closer pitching in a different role. The High-level relief guys, they're quote-unquote closers. The Brewers were just using them in lots of different ways. The MLB isn't looking to try to get rid of elite bullpen talent. The Brewers have a lot of closer-level Pitchers in their bullpen, which is something that not a lot of teams can boast, they're trying to get rid of the one-handed or the one uh, the one-trick pony, the right-handed specialist. Right? They're trying to get rid of the guy who only comes in uh, for the for the sinker balls to try to turn a double play. And what they want to do is place value on their higher-level players, their high-level starting pitchers. If baseball had it their way, big-name starting pitchers would go into the seventh inning every single game because that drives up the value. Those guys are signing bigger contracts, and it looks better for baseball. That's what I think they're reacting to. Now, there are some smaller instances and smaller details, and we can get into that as the show rolls on here. We have plenty of time left to talk about this, and I want to hear from you as well. 608-796-2558 on the Five Star Telecom talking text line uh, is lighting up. All you need to do is talk about Brewers baseball in February, and that's what gets people excited. What an awesome time we live in. Scott's waiting on the Five Star Telecom talking text line. Scott, what's going on? Hey, um, I just wanted to call and say it seems like a lot of rosters either have switch hitters or they go back and forth between lefty and righty. I think it'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, they have this new automatic walk rule where you can just put up four figures and not have to throw any pitches anymore. Yeah. If that would count as facing a batter, and then they could say, okay, well, the roster is going, you know, lefty, righty, lefty. So a lefty specialist could come in and face the lefty and then put up four fingers to the righty. And, I mean, you might sacrifice more walks that way just because of the way the rule's written. Yeah. But I feel like they construct lineups that way so that they can force, you know, managers to only use those specialists for one hitter. And, um, you know, essentially you can work around it, but, but it would cause there to be more walks is my well, and walks, if, if they're trying to fix pace of play, Scott, and, and you tell me this, if, if I'm correct, nothing is worse than pace of play for, for walks, intentional or not, because essentially you're throwing pitches, throwing pitches, and, and then the runner just gets put on first base, and there's no action, there's no running, it's take your base. That's boring, that's slow, right? Yeah, I think that um, ultimately 
um, you know, you mentioned the, the rule about mound visits. I agree that that only matters when you've got, you know, Joe Madden, uh, <laughs> the, the Cubs who are all head cases, their yeah. catcher going out there because they can't figure out what pitch to call. Um, you know, I think that's only a limited thing. This would be a more major deal because, you know, Fox Sports, you know, they just sign all these these big deals. Every single time there's a pitching change, there's a commercial break. So it'd be interesting to see what the TV contract people feel about it because they're losing, you know, half a dozen commercial breaks throughout the course of the single game if they make this rule change. But I think it would thereby eliminate some, you know, three-plus-minute delays every time this happens. So, yeah, it accomplishes that goal. I don't have a problem with that. I like listening to four-hour baseball. Well, well, yeah, there you go. And and baseball purists probably do like they don't mind that the games take a long time. It's summertime. It's relaxing. uh, And I appreciate that, Scott. You brought up a bunch of good points that I didn't even like consider. What about a walk? What about an intentional walk? Because lineups are designed in one way or another to to make the opposing manager think to make him use a little bit of strategy. You don't line up three or four righties in a row if you don't have to, because then it makes it easy uh, for the opposing manager to say, okay, well, I'm just going to bring in a right-handed hitter and I'm not going to have to take him out because he's going to have the advantage for an entire inning or two based on how the opposition's lineup is top to bottom. That's fat. Scott, you brought up a lot of good points. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to re-listen to this show when we're done and I'm going to have to break down that phone call because you mentioned a lot of good stuff. By the way, if you want to re-listen or you miss out on the show, you maybe miss a segment, or you're only able to catch half, you can do it at WK2YSports.com. We post all our shows there in podcast form. Just click on the podcast tab, easy enough, and I'm going to have to go back and do that uh, with your call, Scott. I appreciate that, because that's those are all things that are going to have to be considered. What about walks? What about intentional walks? Because there are some managers who trust that they might have such, such a good left-handed specialist. Josh Hader might be a good example. I don't consider Josh Hader a specialist because he's so good against both types of hitters, righties and lefties, but he's even more dominant against left-handed hitters. Maybe Craig Council says, all right, there, we, there's three batters due up this inning. Two are lefties and one is a righty. Josh, just put the righty on. We trust you so much against those left-handed hitters that we're okay putting a guy on base to get you the matchups that we want. There's a lot of details that you got to, when you start changing rules, there's always layers. There's always implications and details that don't, you don't really think of them at first. A three batter minimum. That seems simple enough. Well, now all of a sudden it, it becomes a little bit more detailed, a little bit more nuanced. And you're like, well, what, what is Fox Sports going to say about this? This is commercial breaks that they can sell ads. You know, there's a lot going on and I appreciate you bringing some of that to light, Scott. I think it comes back to the number one motivation is the MLB wants to put emphasis on their high-paid all-star players. They want teams forking out the money for starting pitching because they want those starters to... I mean, look at it this way. Right now, there is a player, although he is not a pitcher, I'm going to use him as an example. Kyler Murray is trying to decide between the MLB and the NFL. The NFL, there is a scramble at the beginning of free agency in March for the dudes who make it to free agency, Right? A lot of the best free agents are re-signed beforehand, franchise tag, transition tag, whatever you have. Most don't even make it to free agency, and those that do are met with meetings immediately and typically signed within a day or two or three. Baseball is complete opposite. And if I was somebody who's trying to say, okay, well, do I want to play baseball? Do I want to play football? In Kyler Murray's case, I'm looking at the MLB right now. Bryce Harper's out there. Manny Machado's out there. These guys are available, and there is seemingly little or no desire to at least get a deal done quickly. That's a bad look, and the MLB wants to emphasize the importance of these players that make the most money, which are starting pitchers. In this case, we're we're juxtaposing relief pitchers to starting pitchers. Use less relief pitchers, use more starting pitchers. If the MLB had their way, it really boils down to that. I want to continue this conversation because I actually don't think that this kills the Brewers. 
A lot of people are going to want to play the victim. And look, I play small market victim all the time. You got to pick your spots because you don't want to be the boy who cried wolf in this situation. I'm not going to play the victim. I'm not going to play a small market victim. I don't think this is targeting the Brewers. It might seem like it, but but I want to continue this conversation. Coming up next year as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Hope you're having a good night. Looks like we got some snow on the way. So I'll make you a deal. Hunker down. Turn up WKTY. The Bucks are playing tonight. 7 o'clock tip. 6.30 pregame. You can hear it all right here on WKTY. They're taking on the Wizards at the Pfizer Forum. They're running it back from the game they had this weekend in uh, in Washington, D.C. So hopefully the Bucks looking to take advantage and get a win against another inferior team, something they've been really good at this year. We're talking about the Brewers right now. Not specifically about the Brewers, but I guess uh, we're talking more MLB. It sounds like they are proposing yet another batch of rule changes. This one more drastic than the next. I'm not trying to play victim. I am not saying that the MLB is victimizing the Brewers. All I'm doing, this is the Wisco Sports Show. I'm trying to take these proposed rule changes and look through them with a lens of the Milwaukee Brewers. How would this affect our team? Right? I'm not saying the Brewers are being targeted or even that the Brewers are being affected that much. But I'm just saying, if this rule goes into effect, how would it affect the Brewers? Because ultimately, that's what really matters here on this show. It comes down to it, let's be honest. We care about the Brewers. Yeah, the league is nice. The health of the league is nice. But we're Brewers fans. We're talking about the Brewers here on the Wisco Sports Show. I don't think that this is going to kill the Brewers. Now, it might be an inconvenience, and it's going to be an inconvenience if it goes into effect for the entire league. Because on a night where you're clinging to a small lead in a game that you really need to win, a meaningful game, let's say late in the season or against a division rival, you would ultimately like to use as many arms as as you have at your disposal. right? If you have three arms, let's say the Brewers have two innings to get through, you would love for the Brewers to have the flexibility to use Hayter, to use Knable, and to use Jeffress. Because if you go back to Brewers season, what I love to talk about on the show at length is Craig Council's main job as a manager is to force the opposition to beat his best guys. Meaning, if the Cardinals or the Cubs are going to beat the Milwaukee Brewers, they should need to go through Josh Hader and Jeremy Jeffress and Corey Knable. They need to run that gamut. That's Craig Council's job. Now, I'm not saying the MLB is getting in the way of Craig Council's job because ultimately Craig Council's job is also to play by the rule book that the MLB writes, right? That's not really a choice for him. So it does take away some convenience. You obviously want to have as many players at your disposal as possible. But I, I was thinking earlier today, in terms of one batter specialists, guys who come in to face only one hitter, it's not something we saw a lot from Craig Council last year. And to be honest, if I remember correctly, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, when Craig Council did play situational baseball, meaning he took out a pitcher who was pitching well to bring in another arm to play matchups. Uh, we saw it a lot with, with Dan Jennings, whether Corey Knable or Jeremy Jeffers was pitching well, and he didn't like the matchup, so he goes and gets Dan Jennings to face the lefty. When a lot of times I think Brewers fans would just prefer that if a, if a relief pitcher or any pitcher is getting outs, that you simply leave him in. It's common sense, right? When Craig Housel did tend to play matchup and bring in a guy like Dan Jennings, it didn't go real well for him. We saw it kind of come back to bite him against the Pirates near the All-Star game a couple of times last year. I just don't think that Craig Council and these bullpenning teams, I can't speak for the Athletics, I'm not as familiar with that team as I am with the Brewers, they use a lot of relief pitchers, but they are guys who are facing multiple batters. Josh Hader sometimes goes multiple innings. Corey Knable is a guy who often comes in in relief of the starting pitcher to handle whoever's on base and then finish up the inning. Jeremy Jeffress is not a situational pitcher. He is often given the ninth inning. 
Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta when he was used in the bullpen, all guys who who were used as middle-inning relief guys, inning eaters, not situational guys. Nobody was saying, well, the righty's coming up. Powell righty, somebody go get Freddie Peralta. Nobody was, Craig Council wasn't doing that. Gone are the days of, remember Cameron Lowe? Used situationally a lot by Ron Renneke to try to get ground balls. And then even farther back, you remember Mitch Stetter, the sidearm lefty, the lefty specialist? Those guys don't exist anymore. At least not nearly as common as they used to be. We're five, six years removed from arms like that filling the bullpen. This Brewers bullpen is not constituted of a lot of specialists. It's constituted of guys like Corey Knable, Jeremy Jeffers, and Josh Hader, who are all closer caliber arms, who are capable of going more than one inning, especially Knable and Hader, especially Hader. Hader is the poster child for being able to give you two or three innings if necessary in middle relief. Knable can go an inning and a half or an inning and two-thirds. He can't half an inning. Yes, I know. Jeremy Jeffers could get a four-out save. He's not a dude that got used in middle relief a lot, but he's not a specialist by any stretch of the imagination. Gone are the days of Cameron Lowe and Mitch Stetter. Those guys just don't exist now, especially in the this Brewers bullpen is currently constituted because their arms are just so good. They don't have space for a... You, you, look at it this way. You are not removing Corey Knable from a game to bring in Mitch Stetter. You're not taking out Josh Hader because there's a runner at first and there's one out and you'd love to get the double play. You're not going to say, all right, Hades, you know, come on out. We're going to put in the sinker ball or we're going to bring in Cameron Lowe. You are not substituting pitching excellence as the Brewers have at the top of their bullpen for specialists, for one-trick pony guys. Because if Cameron Lowe doesn't get a ground ball, he has failed his job. If Mitch Stetter doesn't strike out the left-handed hitter, he has failed his job. Josh Hader doesn't follow those same guidelines, nor does Knable or Jeffress. I just think bullpens are constituted differently. Now, although the guys don't exist to come in and face one batter, you'd still, like I said... You want everybody available. You like the flexibility to manage your bullpen how you choose. I'm an open market guy. I'm a free market guy. I, I'd like to take the same approach to sports. Because I, I think I think these things balance each other out. I remember a couple of years ago. Well, this was a long time ago now. It might have even been in the days of Ken Maka when they were squaring off against the Cardinals. Tony La Russa, who f- grandfathered the specialist idea back in the 80s, the left-handed specialist or the right-handed specialist, he would bring in a pitcher to counter. And I don't remember at the time if it was Ken Maka or Ron Renneke. All right, I'll bring in a pinch hitter to counter. And then LaRusso would come right back. And all right, you're, you're going to counter me. I'm going to counter you right back. And it basically turned into a big pissing match of who would be able to burn more players to get the matchup they wanted. That's not happening anymore. The specialist has gone to the wayside and made way for guys who were just good pitchers. There's too many good pitchers in the league right now, especially in bullpens. The emphasis has now been placed on the bullpen. It seems like the Brewers, teams like the Cardinals are trying to improve their, their bullpen. Look at the Yankees' bullpen. The Indian, not the Indians, but the, the Royals won a World Series, riding, for the most part, a lot of their bullpen a couple of years ago. Nobody's using specialists anymore. I, 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 once again, I think the MLB is missing the point here, much like they were missing the point when they tried to limit mound visits. The mound visits aren't slowing the game down. It's the pitching changes that follow the mound visits. You're you're shooting at one target and hitting another. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. The problem isn't one one batter specialist. Those don't exist anymore. The Brewers don't have a Mitch Stetter or a Cameron Lowe. Now, Wade Miley starting a game 
and facing one batter, yeah, maybe that made the MLB mad, but let's face it, in the grand scheme of things, that didn't make a huge difference. Brandon Woodruff was the de facto starter in that game. Yeah, sorry Wade Miley pitched one batter and it pissed you off because you were born and you grew up watching baseball in the 40s when they played the game the right way. Stop. If you're if if you're losing sleep over Wade Miley facing a batter and then leaving for a guy who should have started the game anyway, then go to bed. Don't be the get-off-my-lawn guy about this. Because if the goal is to improve the game, and I think by extension, improving the game, speed up the pace of play a little bit, adding a minimal number of batters for a pitcher to face isn't gonna, it's not going to solve a problem. These specialists don't exist anymore. I don't know. Does the MLB watch their own sport? Sometimes I have questions. Sometimes I really do. So that's something I needed to get off my chest. I didn't expect to get fired up, but I guess sometimes it just happened. Bucks baseball, Bucks basketball, excuse me. Thank God it is basketball tonight here on WKTY. 7 o'clock tip, 6.30 pregame. Uh, you can go courtside live and hear some of the Bucks pregame show with Justin Garcia and the whole crew to get ready for them taking on the Wizards tonight. 7 o'clock tip off. However you're listening right now, that'll do the trick. Come 6.30 when the pregame launches. So stay tuned in. We're supposed to get some weather. Perfect kickback. Enjoy some Bucks basketball tonight. Tune in to Dave and Scrady tomorrow morning, 6 to 9. My show back again tomorrow, Thursday. Same time, same place. Can't wait to talk to you then.